following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. We say Merry Christmas yet? We can do that now. Merry Christmas. Um, doesn't it look good in here? That tree over there, that big one, that took almost every elder to put up. Not exaggerating. But after we got that one up, it only took three elders to put the other two big ones up. So, yeah, it looks really good in here. Um, our wives helped us a lot with the uh, feng shui, if you will. So this morning, as we, as we heard earlier, marks the beginning of our Advent series. Okay. Yeah, part of the reason I was late to come up is because no none of the ushers came forward for the offering. So we're going to do the offering after the sermon. <laughs> His bad. So, yeah, this is our Advent, the beginning of our Advent series. So I want to give a quick, um, some background on Advent. Historically, the church has always paused in the weeks leading up to Christmas to remember the reality that God himself came to earth as a baby born of a woman. We pause for about four weeks to look back and remind ourselves of why Jesus coming and putting on our skin, taking on our flesh, and humbling himself is so special. It's a bit cheesy and outplayed, but the saying... Jesus is the reason for the season, is true. He is. We call this season in December the Advent season. Now, I don't know about you. I know this, when Chris just read a description of what Advent meant, I didn't, for some reason, grow up in a church where they ever described what that word meant. They would just say, it's Advent season, and my filter would kick in, and I would think, oh yeah, it's like 23 days from Christmas, isn't it? I didn't have an understanding until I was at Multnomah what Advent actually meant. Advent is the, means the, the coming of a notable person or event. I was a little late to the party on that one. So the Advent of Christ is the intentional practice of looking back at his arrival on earth some 2,000 years ago. And it's also looking forward to when he will come again. Advent has been a standard tradition for followers of Jesus for millennia. There's about two times a year, right, that you can get your friends or maybe a family member or a coworker to come to church with you, Christmas and Easter. And unless you're a part of a high liturgical church that follows the church calendar for their Sunday mornings, most evangelical churches in America only have a couple of weeks a year that they sync up with the rest of the global church. Advent is one of those times. A quick side note on traditions. Advent is one of the few traditions left that the majority of the church in the West has continued to hold on to. For the secular West, tradition has become a dirty word. Most religious and social traditions are now viewed as stifling or too fundamental. They're nothing more than practices that are outdated, outdated. 
something that we need to move past. They don't help to serve us, but in fact are hurting us. Traditions are practices that are often assumed. They're ways of life or patterns of thinking that often go unchecked. We do them because we've always done them. The question of why, why do we do this, can easily be overlooked when following a tradition. And because of that, we have grown weary of traditions altogether in the West. Tradition is now traditionally seen as something anti-progressive. See what I did there? And thus, we ought to separate ourselves from it in order to move forward. This is certainly the popular thought in a city like ours. Now, there have been many traditions in the past that have been legitimately harmful to our society. Things that happened within the church and outside of the church. The treatment of women, slave ownership. These are a couple of historical traditions or examples that have been detrimental to many within the church and to our society as a whole. That said, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Keeping healthy traditions can be so good for our souls. Traditions are practices, and the practices we keep ultimately shape who we become. They shape our loves. Over time, practices mold us and shape us into something. Do anything hundreds, if not thousands of times, and you will be formed by it for better or for worse. Whether it's a mantra that you repeat to yourself or it's watching a Netflix show every night before bed, practice it enough and you will start to believe that mantra and it will affect the way that you think and live. Practice watching Netflix shows every night and it will slowly create a dependency and a pattern of thinking akin to the things that you're viewing. We are creatures of habit and those habits, given time, shape how we think and how we live. So here's the rub. The practice of pausing to remember the significance of God breaking into our reality in the form of a man is not just something we do because it's almost Christmas and there's no good sermons left in the Rolodex to preach. It's not something we do just because we've always done it. It's something we do because we're prone to forget the profound implications of God becoming a man. Familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes in church life, we're so close to it, in week-to-week church life, that the glorious reality of Christ's birth can be lost on us. And so we pause each year to help our hearts and our minds recall the particular beauty of the advent of the Messiah. Another reason that we slow down for the advent season is because it bucks against our consumer mentality that most everyone and everything in our culture is consumed by right now. I don't watch the news or go out of my way to see things like this, but this year I still managed to stumble upon an Instagram video of people beating the crap out of each other outside of a Target on Black Friday. Hopefully no one here was involved in any skirmishes this year. (laughs) Our culture is built on consumption. And this time of year is both sweet because we consider the gifts that we get to give to others. And it's also alarming because we see the brutal nature of our flesh when we don't get what we want. 
Maybe churches should start Advent sermons before Black Friday. (laughs) Anyway, for this year's Advent season, we've decided to connect each of the major themes of Advent, hope, peace, love, joy, to a traditional Christmas hymn. Who doesn't love Christmas music? Don't raise your hand. We think this is a good idea because we often hear and sing these well-known songs without really considering their rich meaning. They become background noise to us. We've grown up with them, and while we debate what time of year it's acceptable or allowable to play Christmas music, some say before Thanksgiving, some say you have to wait till December, some don't want it at all, we've become so accustomed to hearing these songs that we don't often reflect on their deep theology and their lyrics. One of the few obvious remnants of Christianity left in America is Christmas carols. The West has rejected a lot of Christian traditions, but you can still hear Silent Night or Joy to the World played in a mall or a grocery store. Because these songs are so familiar, they easily become white noise, just sounds to mindlessly hum along to. So we wanted to bring one song per week to connect to the theme of that week's Advent. This week's theme, if you couldn't already tell, is hope. Does anyone want to guess which Christmas hymn we connected to this theme? It's not like super popular, but it's still pretty well known. Oh, it's not a guess. It's right there. I legitimately didn't even see it. You, You told him to put it there, didn't you? Yeah, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus was penned by Charles Wesley in 1744. Wesley was a famous Christian leader in the Methodist movement in England and wrote somewhere around 6,000 plus hymns in his lifetime. It is believed that Wesley wrote this hymn when considering a verse in Haggai that talks about the desires of the nations being fulfilled in the house of the Lord. There was an orphan crisis in the areas surrounding where Wesley lived, and he longed to see their desires to be welcomed into a loving home met in the Father's house. The lyrics to Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation... Hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone, by thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. The theme of hope can be felt and heard throughout this hymn, from its title to its lyrics. Before we go further, I want to clarify what we mean when we say hope. It's important for us to recognize that there's a difference between being optimistic and being truly hopeful. Hebrew scholar and founder of the Bible Project, Tim Mackey, offers this. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. 
But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but choose hope anyway. Biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. That's good, isn't it? Optimism hope is connected to the likelihood of something working out. It depends on circumstances. Biblical hope is connected to God's past faithfulness and confidence in that faithfulness for the future. And it depends on a person. God's past faithfulness motivates hope for the future. We think about what the Lord commanded the Israelites to do after the Exodus, right after the Exodus, out of Egypt. Then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. God really is our hope. It is his character and looking back at the things that he's done, at his goodness, at who he is, that gives us confidence for the future. Colossians 1.27 talks about hope. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Peter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not circumstantial. It's alive, and his name is Jesus. As I prayed and considered what would be best to share this morning on the theme of hope, I was reminded of Isaiah 9, 6. If hope is found in remembering the character of God, then Isaiah's description of the coming Messiah is a beautiful reminder of the hope we find in Jesus. In our passage, Isaiah describes the Savior as one who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As I worked on this sermon, I kept finding other scripture references that related to Isaiah 9 really, really well. As I considered what to share, I felt God was able to speak for himself better than I was. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to listen closely as I read from different sections of Scripture. 1 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul writes, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Simply hearing God's Word nourishes our souls. I think you'll find these other passages fit really nicely with Isaiah 9-6. So now I want to invite you Close your eyes for a few minutes. You don't have to. 
but you should. Try not to fall asleep. Let the words of Scripture wash over you like living water to our weary souls. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As you rest your eyes, remember that the words of God point us to the person of God in Jesus Christ who gives us life. Remember that your hope for true life is found in the reality that God broke into our reality to be with us 2,000 years ago. Our morning passage, Isaiah 9, 6, begins, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Isaiah 9, 6, to us a son is given. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Isaiah 9, 6. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Wonderful counselor. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
Anyone who loves their life must lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And he will be called Mighty God. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord, mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and he brings out the wind from the storehouses. Mighty God. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in working of God who raised him from the dead. And you will be called everlasting father. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much, how are you not much more valuable than they? All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everlasting Father. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that wander off, that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. 
And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are His children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. And He will be called Prince of Peace. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Of God. You can open your eyes if you kept them closed. I think the most fundamental, basic thing we long for is true inner peace. To be truly satisfied with ourselves. Every one of us hopes to be freed from that gnawing dissatisfaction we feel about our inner selves. It's a very personal and visceral longing to rid our interior lives of the thoughts or feelings that remind us of our flesh, of our humanity. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you follow Jesus or not, we all feel that sense of unhappiness. I'm not talking about an unhappiness that stems from some external realities, like systemic injustices or from some sin outside of yourself, but an unhappiness that stems from the motives and the thoughts and the decisions that you make. It comes from within. It's not a dissatisfaction with stuff out there, though there's a lot to be unhappy about with the stuff out there. Rather, it is a discontentment I find in my own way of being that I, only I really fully know. I think we have all felt this to some degree before. It's so easy to think that the weight of sin and the problems of life start out there with your coworker and their drama, with your family and their issues, with the government and its injustices, with your church and her shortcomings. 
Much of Israel's history is filled with God's people thinking that their main foe was out there. But as the saga of history unfolds in the pages of Scripture, we see a merciful, patient, loving father nudging his kids to see that their foe lies within. It is there, inside them, inside us, that our greatest opposition exists, our flesh. The call of Jesus is not one that promises to bring hope by transforming the external problems out there. The call of Jesus is a call of hope because it promises to transform each individual who is willing to take up their cross and bear it. It starts in my own soul. It's not easy. But by choosing to die to ourselves, we find true life. The cross Jesus came to earth to bear reminds us that by death comes new life. The cross reminds us that even the darkest, most ugly parts of ourselves can be transformed by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit through a life of apprenticing Jesus. Hope for tomorrow is found in grace extended to us on that Roman cross. Biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, would you help us for these next few weeks to both see the value of pausing, to remember how incredible you coming to earth really is. It has legitimately changed everything for the one who follows you. Lord, I pray that we would find our hope in you. God, we live in a culture and in a time where anxiety and fear runs rampant in the lives of so many, and that has not, that has not stayed out of the church. Many of us are filled with anxiety. We're unsure about what's going to happen. And so we fear, we worry, we stress. But Jesus, you have given us true hope. You have us. You will always have us. You will always keep us. You are always for us. And you will not let us go because you are a good father, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, Prince of Peace. We love you, Lord. Help us to hope in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us and sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We desire to be formed by the word of God in community. 
If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.